Hello again, friends. This is number 13 in our Return to Rome series. Let's start with a short prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that we can connect to share your word. We pray your blessing on our minds as we contemplate end-time events. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in section 3. Return to Rome, Thirsty for Unity, How Rome Will Unite the World. We read Revelation 13:3. All the world wandered after the beast. Of course, we understand the beast system is the Vatican, not talking about Catholic people, but rather the system. And we saw that in order for all the world to wander after the beast, at least five things must have happened. Number one, the death of Protestantism. We've looked at that. Number two, a positive view of the papacy. We've looked at that. And we are at number three, section three, religious unification. And we asked the question, what's creating this thirst for unity? And we saw, number one, climate change is creating a thirst for unity. The Pacific Standard Magazine said, what is extraordinary about the encyclical? That's the Pope, Pope Francis's Laudato Si encyclical is that that is a project that the whole human race can engage in together. What unites all of humanity? The environment. It's our common home, our common interest. We saw that there is a more and more voices. There's a rising crescendo of voices calling for a day of rest to save the environment. Here again is the statement from the Hartford Courant uh, newspaper. This is February 26, 2020. A weekly Earth Day could be what saves us all. A day of rest is good for the environment. It is also good for people. So number one, creating the thirst for unity is climate change. Now we're moving to number two in our study today, and that is mysticism. Mysticism is also being used to unite all world religions. And you might wonder, what is mysticism? <clears throat> well, here's a definition. It is the practice of religious ecstasies, religious experiences during altered states of consciousness, together with whatever ideologies, ethics, rites, myths, legends, and magic may be related to them. That's one definition. Here's another definition of mysticism. Belief that union with or absorption into the deity or the absolute or the spiritual appreciation of knowledge inaccessible to the intellect may be attained through contemplation and self-surrender. Now when they're talking about contemplation here, that's talking about meditation where you empty the mind of all thought. And then the great divine absolute speaks to your soul. That's mysticism. And mysticism is uniting world religions together. Here's from the Religion News Service. This is an analysis on the Pope. To understand Pope Francis, it said, look to the Jesuits. In this particular article, which was in 2017, I believe, says he may act like a Franciscan, but he thinks like a Jesuit. 
equipped the Reverend Thomas Rees, a fellow Jesuit who is a columnist for National, the National Catholic Reporter. Indeed, behind that Jesuit label lies a centuries-old and a unique brand of spiritual formation that go a long way to understand toward understanding who Francis is and where he is taking the church. That's the Catholic Church and, of course, the Christian Church at large. We understand that Francis is a Jesuit, first Jesuit pope, and the Jesuit order was established by Ignatius Loyola. One person said this about Ignatius Loyola. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Society of Jesus, Jesuits, is one of the Christian tradition's profoundest mystics and perhaps its greatest mystagogue. Now, a mystagogue is a teacher of mystical doctrines. And you may remember that Ignatius Loyola wrote a book entitled The Spiritual Exercises of Ignatius Loyola, which has become quite popular. Today, millions of people around the world practice the spiritual exercises of Ignatius Loyola. And by their roots, Jesuits are proponents of mystical prayer practices. But it's not just the Jesuits. More and more Protestants are adopting these mystical spiritual exercises. There are many books that have been written about them. God Calling, which is a channeled book. Jesus Calling, which is a later book, a response or a growth out of God's God Calling, and even the book Hunger, which is written by a Seventh-day Adventist, interestingly enough. Here is from the book God Calling. This is page 12. The writers, the authors said, We felt all unworthy and overwhelmed by the wonder of it, and could hardly realize that we were being taught, trained, and encouraged day by day by Jesus personally, when millions of souls far worthier had to be content with guidance from the Bible, sermons, their churches, books, and other sources. End of quote. So God calling, the authors say, we don't need the Bible. Jesus was speaking directly to us. And a more recent book called Jesus Calling, written by Sarah Young, here's what the supposed Jesus in the book Jesus Calling said to Sarah Young. Quote, Sit quietly in my presence while I bless you. Make your mind like a still pool of water ready to receive whatever thoughts I drop into it. End of quote. And that makes you question whether the Jesus in the Jesus calling really is Jesus. Or maybe this is a false Christ. There was a book written to counteract Jesus calling. In fact, the title of the book is Another Jesus Calling. <clears throat> I'm reading from page 121. And I might mention this book was written by Warren Smith, who was a former New Ager. And when he read Jesus Calling, he was amazed to find some of the same New Age practices and techniques in the book Jesus Calling that he had used and known in the New Age. And so he said this in his book, Another Jesus Calling. 
the book, Jesus Calling, has power over you definitely. When you open the book, there is overwhelming power. I can't believe I thought it had more power than the Bible. And I wouldn't read my Bible for a long time. I got more peace out of reading that book, that's Jesus Calling, than I got out of reading the Bible. And that really scared me. So if you have some of these books, Jesus Calling, God Calling, and maybe you need to go and do what they did in Acts 19.19 with all their spiritualistic books. Here's what Pastor Ted Wilson said, our GC president. Stay away from non-biblical spiritual disciplines or methods of spiritual formation that are rooted in mysticism, such as contemplative prayer, centering prayer, and the emerging church movement in which they are promoted. End of quote. Now you might wonder, what is spiritual formation? According to the Lighthouse Trails Research Project, which is not an Adventist group, but they are dedicated to exposing this contemplative spirituality that is sweeping the Christian world. They say this, a movement, spiritual formation is a movement that has provided a platform and a channel through which contemplative prayer is entering the church. Fine spiritual formation being used, and in nearly every case, you will find contemplative spirituality, which is what the Jesuits practice. In fact, contemplative spirituality is the heartbeat of the spiritual formation movement. Well, you might wonder, what is contemplative spirituality? Here is a definition. This is from... Christopher Lawson, in his book, Do Christian Leaders Understand the Contemplative Prayer Movement? And he says, Contemplative spirituality is a belief system that uses ancient mystical practices to induce altered states of consciousness, the silence, that is, and is rooted in mysticism and the occult, but often wrapped in Christian terminology. The premise of contemplative spirituality is pantheistic, God is all, and panentheistic, God is in all. And some of the spiritual formation methods are, include meditation, and I want to, want to clarify, that's not the typical meditation that the Christian would think of when you meditate deeply on a text of scripture. Or rather, this is Eastern meditation where you seek to empty the mind of all thought so that the whatever is out there, the divine, will speak into the silence. That's this type of meditation. Meditation, centering prayer, breath prayer, labyrinth prayer, rock music, Lectio Divina, which is the sacred reading of Scripture, where the idea is you repeat the scripture again and again until you kind of hypnotize yourself. And this is practice even in witchcraft. Here is what one witch said. This is Christopher Penzik. He is the co-founder of the Temple of Witchcraft Religious Nonprofit Organization and the creator of the Temple of Witchcraft Mystery School. He said this, When I started on the path of witch... My teacher stressed to me the importance of meditation. 
Not only is it a skill that witches should learn to help with spells and rituals, but meditation all by itself is quite magical. Here's a statement from another witch. This is from Lori Cabot. She this she wrote a number of books. She's actually a high priestess of American witchcraft. And in her book, Power of the Witch, she says this, The science of witchcraft is based upon our ability to enter altered states of consciousness, we call alpha. This is a state associated with relaxation, meditation, and dreaming. In alpha, the mind opens up to non-ordinary forms of communication. Here we also experience out-of-body sensations and psychokinesis, and receive mystical, visionary information. And you might wonder, well now, who is giving this mystical, visionary information to the witches as they are in this uh, altered state of consciousness? Here's what Lighthouse Trails Research Project says. Does contemplative prayer, the repeating of a word or a phrase as taught by Richard Foster and Thomas Merton, Take the practitioner into the alpha, altered state of consciousness. That's the question. We believe it does dangerously so. So as you repeat a phrase or in a chant or even in a song, and you repeat that over and over and over and over again, you sort of self-hypnotize yourself to where your brain waves go into this alpha state. And that's when uh, the evil spirits can begin influencing and speaking. Lighthouse Trails Research Project says the final outcome of contemplative prayer is interspirituality. Just what is interspirituality? The premise behind interspirituality is that divinity, God, is in all things. That's pantheism. And the presence of God is in all, all religions. There is a connecting together of all things and through mysticism, including meditation, this state of divinity can be recognized. So you can see how mysticism is being used to unite all world religions. And if all religions are equal, if we unite all together, there's no need to call people to come out of Babylon. You can see where that heads, where that takes us. I want to remind you of the words of Pastor Ted Wilson, stay away from non-biblical spiritual disciplines or methods of spiritual formation that are rooted in mysticism, such as contemplative prayer, centering prayer, and the emerging church movement in which they are promoted. End of quote. So mysticism is another way that the religions of the world are being united together. What else? Well, we'll find out what else next time. Let's end with a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us how to root our spiritual experience in your word, the Bible, and in real prayer, communication with heaven. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you until we meet again.